Yesterday, Monday, October 30th, was Adoptee Remembrance Day, a 24-hour period when the community holds space in memory of adoptees who have died by suicide, murder, or who were deported to their home country. Tomorrow is the first day of NAM, National Adoption Awareness Month, and it is my hope that by hearing from adoptees, on the various platforms, that the world comes to understand that there is no adoption with their first being a relinquishment. For adoptees, we experience a profound loss that is often not acknowledged by adoptive parents before any sense of belonging with them can possibly occur. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My guest today is a fellow podcaster who hosts Adoption, The Long View. She's the co-author with Sarah Easterly and Kelsey Vanderbilt Ranyard of a new book, Adoption Unfiltered, Revelations from Adoptees, Birth Parents, Adoptive Parents, and Allies. She is a veteran in the adoption space, writes at LavenderLuz.com and the author of The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption, which was recommended by People Magazine and is featured on adoption agency required reading lists across the country. Her name is Lori Holden, and I was delighted when she said yes to having a conversation with me. She came to my attention when her name kept coming up by adoptees with platforms all over our community. I watched her being interviewed by fellow adoptee Greg Gentry for Fireside Adoptees. They both trusted each other, and the conversation was rich with perspectives and the work that she is doing to help adoptees feel seen. Lori has keynoted and presented at adoption conferences around the U.S. and Canada, and she coaches adoptive parents on embodying the both-and approach in their parenting of adoptees. She is of the understanding that we can't talk about adoption without including the subject of relinquishment. In this episode, Lori shares how and why she adopted two children during a time when open adoptions were in their early days, what she has learned through that experience, and what role she decided to play in helping other adoptive parents. During her parenting journey, it became clear that she needed to get in the murky waters of learning the ups and downs, twists and turns of taking on the enormous task of parenting an adopted child. Allow me to introduce you to a person who lives in Denver with her husband and dog, and according to her short bio, her two young adult children occasionally stop by for home-cooked meals in laundry facilities. She is one of the few people I've quickly come to know this year who wholeheartedly 
believes in bringing members of the constellation together and does her part to co-create a good experience for everyone. Lori, I am so happy to have you be a guest on my podcast. And from one podcaster to another, Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land welcomes you as the host of Adoption the Long View. How are you doing today? I am doing so well, Jennifer, and I can't tell you how honored I am to be sitting here talking with you this morning. Yeah, I am too. You know, I got a chance to watch not once but twice your conversation with Greg Gentry for Fireside Adoptees, and I just thought that was such a brilliant job on both of you all's part, and I hope that I can do as well of a job as Greg did. He's such a warm and loving individual. I've come to know him. I got to meet him this year in person. Yeah, I just thought you both came together, you as an adoptive parent. He is a adoptee in a beautiful way for our community. And I'm glad that you trusted him. And I'm, I'm really glad that you are trusting me. Thank you for saying all that. I just think Greg is one of those stars in the adoption constellation to bridge gaps and um, bring people together through understanding. He's so good at creating, um, cultivating, trusting spaces with people in especially in the triad, who sometimes have animosity towards each other. And he really has a a talent for people being able to put down their arms. And I just love that about him. Yes, that is the word. He has the talent. He's such a great listener. And we appreciate him so much. So I know you're in Denver, Colorado. I've been there twice. I think it's a fantastic city. And how are you doing there today, this morning? It's a beautiful fall day, even though we're not quite in fall at the time of our conversation today, but we're heading into fall. It's cool. It's been raining. It's just beautiful. Everything feels very calm and cozy today after a very hot stretch of 90 degree days. Very good. Yeah, we're having cooler weather here in Nashville, too, and got out for my morning walk, and I like it when it's in the 50s and 60s. So, yeah, we're preparing for autumn for sure. So mm, 50s and 60s sounds perfect. It is, especially, you know, for a brisk walk and, and the sun is out. Yeah, it's really nice. First of all, I want to congratulate you on the latest book that you created with Sarah Easterly and Kelsey Vandervliet Ranyard. Did I get that right? Kelsey Vandervliet Ranyard. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm going to have to practice that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Adoption Unfiltered. I want to say the whole title. I don't have the whole title here. I got to get that. Oh, I can, yeah, I can fill that in for you. It's okay. Revelations from Adoptees, Birth Parents, Adoptive Parents, and Allies. Wonderful. So congratulations. Thank you. We are so excited. It's been an, uh, a three-year labor of love, and it will be available December 1st of 2023. So if you're listening before, it is available for pre-order at adoptionunfiltered.com. And if you are listening after, you can find it at whatever bookseller you prefer. And there's also a podcast, right? Yeah, we do a video podcast as well, where we just kind of tackle issues that are about adoption that it's on our mind. And in, in my head, I have this construct of like a Venn diagram where each of the three of us, Sarah as an adoptee, 
Kelsey as a birth parent and me as an adoptive parent. We all are three are circles and we're trying to find that place where adoption functions as well as it can for all three of us, you know, that kind of that center area. It takes conversation to get to that. We have to figure out what does and doesn't work about any sort of an issue, whether that's, you know, adoption storytelling, uh, who tells the story, who owns the narrative, naming, names of um, name issues in adoption. We walk around it, we explore with each other, we poke holes in our in our thoughts, and then we end up usually coming up with some sort of that that place that is even, maybe not even, but works out for as well as it can with these competing needs and um, responsibilities that we sometimes have. Right. Yeah, I look forward to getting a copy and reading it. I'm so excited for all of you. You know, of course, I in community with Sarah pretty much on a regular basis because of Adoptee Voices, the writing group she created. So, like, we're so happy and excited for all of you. Yeah, and I do want to make a note that we have kind of flipped the pyramid of adoption narratives on its head, and we really do center Sarah as much as possible. She's listed first in the book, um, tends to speak first in interviews that we do. We really want to model for everybody reading that adoption should be centered around the adoptee. And then set in um, a close second would be Kelsey as a birth parent, um, historically marginalized voices. Again, modeling, we want birth parent voices to be elevated and heard. And then I take a little bit of a backseat because everybody knows the adoptive parent perspective. That's the one we've been, we've all known for the hundred and some years that we've had modern adoption practices. So I tend to be a little bit more in the on the periphery, which is, you know, I think as it should be with a book like this. Yeah, I love the title and thank you for sharing all of that. I'm pretty sure adoptees listening can appreciate that very, very much. So I want to congratulate you on a previous book, The Open Hearted Way to Open Adoption. I love the title. I look forward to reading that book as well. So you, you're making major contributions to the community. We so need to like be all at the same table. I believe that. And I think that you're like you're doing a wonderful job of showing up and giving us an opportunity as adoptees to be seen and heard on your platform. So, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy knowing that. And I know I've listened to several episodes of your podcast, one that's stands out to me in this moment is the one you did with Brad Ewell and Fred Nicora. Fred Nicora. Yes. That one, when Mm -hmm. they were together going back, I just thought listening to them each take a stand and and you being such a wonderful host to them. That was really good. So thank you for that episode in particular as an adopted person. Thank you, Jennifer. I, I feel like with the book and with the podcast, I have gotten so lucky in um, finding adoptees who are willing to share their experiences with me in kind of an unfiltered way and help me understand what it's like to be adopted. Because everything that I've formulated in, in both of these books comes from that, that wisdom, that lived experience, and the generosity of the adoptees who have, who have entered the, into the space with me. Mm-hmm. And you're the parent of two adult adopted children. So 
wherever you want to start and however much you want to share would be great. Yes, my children are now both in their 20s. So we have crossed a threshold into kind of a new different, new and different relationship with them. I loved in uh, Jim Gritter's book, Hospicious Adoption, he talks about the hospitality model for adoption and how a birth parent or a first parent is the literal host of the baby and in domestic infant adoption with an open adoption, also the host of the relationship. She's the one who invites the adoptive parents in to this relationship. And so her her reign as host lasts for a very short time. And then when papers are signed, she becomes the guest, the adoptive parents become the host, and they do that for a very long time, but not forever. And this is the point that um, this, this, this came through to me really early on, and I was so grateful for it because I was able to see that my kids are going to be the ones that are the hosts, the ultimate hosts. Once they are of age and they are calling their own shots, they get to decide who they want at their holiday table and who they want to invite. And are they going to invite me? Well, I have that kind of relationship with them where I feel safe to them, where I feel desirable to hang out with. And so uh, that I, I just love that model from Jim Gritter. And I, I think that's that's where we are with both of my kids right now is they, they are coming home this weekend. We are going to have family a family get together. I enjoy being in the role now of their advisor and not their, not not so much their uh, on the spot parents like making decisions for them, watching them make their own decisions and ask for help when they when they need it. I love that. Yeah, guest and host. Yeah, I feel that way. Even though I'm not an adoptive parent, yeah, I taking the back seat uh, quite a bit and allowing my son, who's 33, to yeah be the host. I think, you know, a lot of times parents and children, adult children do stay in contact, but I didn't ever want it to be out of obligation or like they felt they had to, like they felt they had to take care of my feelings or like they felt like they owed me something. Uh, they didn't owe me anything. They they were meeting my needs when we entered into adoption through infertility. So that's what I was always striving for is that they would want to be with me, not that they would feel like they had to be with me. Right. No, I'm sure that if my kids are listening, they might have days where they're like, uh. <laughs> so I want to give them that room to disagree with me as well. Right. How did you come to be an adoptive parent? Can you share a little bit about that? We got married and things weren't happening the way we had our life planned. We were trying to figure out what, what would that look like? We had basically three options. We could go with fertility treatments. We could live child-free. We could uh, adopt. And at the time, I think I was under the just adopt umbrella that adopting was really not a big deal. You just go through the paperwork and the home study. You get your baby. And it's just like regular parenting. And so that's what we chose. We found an agency we learned about open adoption, which was fairly new at the time, and it made so much sense to me at the, the orientation meeting that we went to and then at the what I call adoption school. We had three days of adoption school, and they were um, teaching us what open adoption could be, which was so different from what I thought adoption was, but it made so much more sense to me. I had grown up with a friend in high school from elementary to high school. She's still my friend. She was adopted and she said she never thought about it. We never really talked about it. She would always disclose to people that she was adopted. But I remember just thinking, I would still want to know more. And of course, in, in our era, you and I are both from the 60s, I think. 
in that era, you just didn't wonder. <laughs> if you had parents that would let you wonder, that was probably pretty amazing. But she just kind of had to put it away. And she did for a very, very long time. Colorado has recently opened records, so she is she's on the trail. But she did wait, have to wait for both of her parents to pass for her to feel free enough to get her records. So anyway, that was all in our in my thinking when we decided that adoption was the way that we would become parents. Then I wanted to be a really good adoptive parent, so I did a lot of research. I joined a lot of forums. This was even before Facebook, and I got on some bulletin boards and figured out I didn't know squat about adoption. <laughs> I thought I did. I was in this open adoption with my my children's birth parents, and I thought I knew a lot. Turns out I knew very little. Mm. I would imagine open adoption has its challenges. And what would you say a few of them are or a couple? Yeah, when we first I think we need to define it because I think what open adoption means to most people is that you have contact with your child's birth parents. I am on a mission, I along with Angela Tucker and some others who I create in content with to get out to the world that every adoption should be an open adoption. Every single adoption should be an open adoption. People get really upset when I say that because they're like, but well, what about this? Or, you don't know about that. Or this situation is my situation. I can't have an open adoption. So this is where I think we need to change what the measure of an open adoption is. Uh, if we're using contact as a measure of open adoption, I agree. Not everyone should be in contact with birth parents, but possibly with birth family. Sometimes birth parents aren't known, aren't available, don't opt in, are, are not safe. There's lots of reasons why you may not be able to have contact. But every adoption should be an open adoption because the way I'm meaning it is that openness in adoption is what happens between the parent and the child. It's where the parent has this open channel between their head and their heart so they kind of know what's going on at any moment when they might get triggered by something adoption-y. They know what they're bringing to the table for any adoption conversations, any adoption decisions, any contact decisions that may be happening with birth parents. And then they're creating from that clear channel within them, they're creating and maintaining a clear channel between them and their child. They feel approachable. They feel safe. They feel like their parents is the one they can go to with whatever they're wondering about, thinking about, worrying about. You want that openness. So that's where I come from when I say every adoption should be an open adoption. Mm, thank you for that. Yeah. And you're right. We, we need to define what that means. And I'm happy to know that you're working with Angela Tucker. I got a chance to meet her this year. She's just a lovely woman and making major contributions as well to the entire constellation. So it's good to know. I love yes. to hear about collaborations. She has made it so much easier for me as I talk with adoptive parents with her book, You Should Be Grateful, because she brings out in there and in the interview she's been doing about how she can hold both of these opposite feelings. I love my adoptive family and I'm so integrated and and adoring of them and I feel accepted and complete with them. And I wish I wasn't adopted. When adoptive parents can see that both of those can be true in an adoptee's heart, it makes us become bigger to hold that expansiveness that, uh, and give them that, that, that latitude, that reach that they need to hold both of those. Right. That both, and it keeps coming up. <laughs> and exactly. I too, yeah. Exactly. And I too agree with that. It's a good experience 
that I have had with my adoptive family, no doubt about it, very healthy environment. Wasn't perfect, but definitely healthy, I would say, and enjoyable. And I've always wanted to know my biological family. So you asked me what are some of the complications of open adoption, and I know that you're in reunion. So before I answer, I was wondering if you would briefly tell me about the complications that contact with birth family brought for you. Hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. The complications, I would say, when you don't have history with family that you share DNA with, it's very tricky because they're talking about things that happened for decades, you know, people getting together and all the things that go on year after year with their lives. I know nothing about. I can't relate. I only know what they're telling me, but it was not my experience. And so that stands out to me. That was really tricky to navigate because I'm feeling kind of like an outsider. Even though I have the mural wing and I see the similarities, I don't have the connection that you get when you're spending time with family over a long stretch of time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It sounds like you, you're, the experiences that you get from your first family are secondhand. You didn't get the firsthand experiences with them. And Perfect. that's a disconnect, right? Perfectly stated. It's, it is. It's very secondhanded. And I think that for them, they're trying to see where do I fit in, even though we are biologically related. And I think when, when I was in my adoption school and they, at the agency was teaching us about open adoption, that's one of the reasons why it made so much sense to me is I was like, it would be so much better for my children, I think, if they had their birth family around from the beginning instead of having to start up at 18 or 20 or when they're young adults and doing their own families. I, I thought to, to zip that up after that much of a gap would be really difficult. Mm-hmm. How do you start a relationship with somebody who's so integral to your existence, but so foreign to you in your memory. Right. And I recently had a guest. She's in an open adoption. She would consider it an open adoption where she would meet with her biological siblings for short stretches of time through the years, but they were being brought up very differently than she was. She's a transracial, interracial adoptee. She's black and her parents are white. Her siblings, biological siblings, don't have that experience. And there was a difference even economically. Her family, her family was experiencing versus what she was experiencing. And that's what I'm thinking in terms of challenges. She was in a kind of a spot that made her often feel uncomfortable. And she even tells a story when when her siblings, I think, came to visit her in her home, and it was so different than their home, and how that made her uncomfortable for them, that seemed to be a big challenge that she went through growing up. And I think you really just did hit on one of the main challenges of open adoption with contact is you see, you see the grass on the other side of the fence, and but you don't get to play there very often. You don't get to live there. You can play there, but you don't get to, when I'm talking about my kids and being with their birth family, they are seeing differences, that the different lives that their siblings have. 
and they're seeing different rules that their parents have. That is a thing to reconcile that makes contact in an open adoption a challenge. There's complexities. Right. And I think also as, as uh, adoptive parents, as the gatekeepers of contact, our job is to do it wisely. Our job is to let in all that we can let in and keep out what maybe we do need to keep out that if something is causing a, ch- uh, a struggle for our child, we have to titrate that and figure out if to get really good at figuring out how to manage really difficult, complicated things and who who to go to to get some insight for that, whether that's adoptee groups or adoption competent therapists, preferably adoptees. It's a high challenge. It's a high calling to be an effective adoptive parent, to manage our own feelings and then manage these very complicated situations in front of us as well. I tell you something else she described being difficult for her. Seeing her biological family kind of from a distance, like she knew where they lived and would even run into them occasionally and wondering, she would wonder why she couldn't be with them. They seem to be doing okay, that kind of thing. And why can't I be with them? Those were questions that, yeah, that she was struggling with, wrestling with for much of her youth. Those are really normal things to wonder about, right? If the people around her were able to give her space for that, I'm sure that helps with the processing. Mm -hmm. So your children know their biological family, right, on both sides? Yeah, they both have siblings on all, so we're talking about four different birth parents, and there are siblings uh, with all four birth parents. And my kids at this point are in full charge of their contact their relationships. Um, it's it's what they want it to be. I'm a consultant on occasion uh, from both sides, birth parents. Some of their birth parents will sometimes ask me for information or insight or uh, how might I handle this? And sometimes my kids will do the same, but they're in the driver's seat. That's great. It warms my heart to hear that. How have you best navigated your evolution in adoption land? Oh, I had a rocky rocky start. I got spanked. I've told this story before. I got spanked when I thought I knew something and I didn't. It was very, very painful. It was like a public flogging. You know, you see this happen on occasion to to people who are new in the space and don't have the good sense to to lurk and take the temperature of the room, right? Right. (laughs) So my saving grace is that I protected myself and got out of that for a couple of days. I knew that there was something really important that I was missing and I needed to go back and I needed to open myself up to what I needed to know while protecting myself from the hurt and the vitriol. And so when I was able, when I had kind of gotten stronger, I, and it didn't take too long. I, I, I knew I had to suck it up. I came in and I tried to figure out what, what is this that I need to know? And it was basically, you need to listen to adoptees. We can tell you things that, you're going to need to know, and your your kids are going to wish you needed to know. And so once I got that, I became more of a listener than a teller, which is kind of ironic because here I am doing a lot of telling. <laughs> I think it's what's guided my writing and my content is all that listening to adoptees and to birth parents. But it was it was painful, and I can remember the the sensation. I don't know, Jennifer, have you ever been scuba diving or snorkeling? No, I haven't. I, I'm not a scu- I, I tried scuba diving, was not successful, but I, I do love to snorkel whenever I can get near near warm seas. And the sensation that you have when you 
you know, first you're above water and you look at if this vast expanse of green or blue or brownish water, and then you go under and you see this whole rich, complex world full of colors and diversity and a little bit of this fish and some of that fish and, and <laughs> this coral and these critters and creatures. And you're like, up, up above, you don't see that at all. You can't even hardly imagine the expanse and the breadth and the depth and the the richness of it all. You come back up and it's gone because you're backward. It just looks like one color <laughs> and it, it looks like it goes on forever. But when you're under, that's what it felt like for me. Uh, kind of diving into adoption world and hearing, starting to hear adoptee stories, adoptee memories, adoptee experiences, birth parents as well. That's what it was like for me. You mentioned being spanked and that seems hard and painful as, as you said. And, and so how are you able to turn the pain into the purposefulness of the work you do? Well, it's probably because I was a little bit more type A. I wanted to be the perfect parent. (laughs) In that sense, it worked in my favor. I was determined to cut through whatever was keeping me from listening and listen. I think that type A-ness and wanting to be the perfect parent probably did cause some some harm to my kids because, you know, in some ways they were meeting my needs to be perfect. But, you know, once I figured out that that was happening, I really tried to shift on that. So, So type A like anything, can be a tool or a weapon. And in this case, when I started out of a desire to be a good mom, the best mom, I put my hurt kind of in a corner and resumed listening. Listening is so powerful, isn't it? And it's a skill, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you created the podcast Adoption, The Long View. And what sparked you to do that? I had never thought of myself as a podcaster, as a writer. I like being able to play with my words before they go out. You know, the creating and the delivering are two separate, <laughs> two separate things, it, part of the process. But when you podcast or when you're on a video or anything like that, it's happening at the same time. Like I'm creating those words at the same time I'm delivering them. So it's a little bit more daunting to somebody who considers herself a writer first and a speaker second podcasting is more my second language than writing is. There was a an organization called adopting.com who asked me if I would do it. I had been curating content for it, uh, one of its Facebook groups for a while. I was always trying to bring in some of the counter narratives to adoption is wonderful in, in the ways that I could. And when I was asked to do it, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But then I started thinking adopting.com reaches, it reaches adoptive parents really early in their journey. And Maybe this was a way for me to bring some of what I'm learning at the tail end of my active parenting years to people who are at the early end of their parenting years. And so I said, yes, we're now rounding up the fourth season. And I'm glad I did because it's been so rewarding to be able to talk with the guests. If I have one talent, I think it's getting really great guests on and knowing people who who will come on and and share their hard-earned wisdom about adoption. That resonates with me. Writer first, podcaster second. Yeah, I would agree. That's my experience as well. I never thought I'd be doing this, but I love to write. And podcasting has allowed me to do that right alongside being in fellowship with members of the Constellation. So it's really been meaningful and 
and far exceeded my expectation of it being a rewarding contribution, a give and take with members of the community. So yeah, I'm glad you said yes to podcasting. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I hope you continue to do that. I actually look forward, really am anticipating having a conversation with you on your podcast. So I thank you for the invitation. Yeah, sneak preview. Uh, Jennifer is going to be my first guest for season five. So that'll happen early in 2024. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. And podcasting, doesn't it bring us it brought us together. We might not have crossed paths if we hadn't been connected by people who are connected to each of us. Absolutely. And I've said it more than one time that if I hadn't been adopted, I probably would not have met most of the people in the community that are just really beautiful human beings. Yeah. So that's one plus from having been an adoptee. And I, I want to echo that. I would never have chosen infertility and adoption as if I were writing my own story. It's not what I would have come up with. And I know that may be painful to hear, but it's probably what most, what many adoptive parents think. But I will tell you, Jennifer, that my life is so much richer. Something about, you know, the unexamined life. It would have been an unexamined life if it had gone the easy way that I thought that it would. But I had to figure things out. I had to figure things out with my with my children when I didn't always know what was going on with them. I didn't have um, certain connections to them that, that I might have taken for granted. And just examining my life from this way of being in, in the circles of adoption, I think I echo what you say. It's, it's brought so much richness in terms of people and experiences and self-reflection. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that, that's exactly how I feel. And so I asked you, I extended the invitation for you to read something from both of your books. And so I'm glad you said yes. And whenever you're ready. I will start with something from The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption. And this is in a section about the impact of sealed records through the generations. So it starts here. And why should every adoptive parent care about this mess? Because even though you may have access to your child's original birth certificate, not everyone does. This means that your child is a member of a class of people whose rights are not fully recognized. When children are small, it can be difficult to imagine that they will one day become autonomous adults. Yet they do, and no competent adult should be safeguarded from access to an accurate record of birth by any parent or agency, especially not when non-adopted citizens are not treated the same way. Allowing universal access to one's personal records should matter in open adoptions, in international adoptions, in foster adoption, in all adoptions. All parents involved in adoption should care about transparency and openness so that ethical practices in adoption is assured or in the case of past unethical practices exposed. We owe this to our children. That was from the Open Heart Away to Open Adoption. Wow. I feel like you really see us as adoptees through those words. Thanks to some really wonderful teachers. This book is 10 years old. So this was probably when this was written, there was there, there were even fewer states. I think how many states now open have open records? Is it 10 or 12? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for reading from your book. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. And you have one um, more. I'll switch over. Yeah. yeah, I'll switch over to Adoption Unfiltered. And just to give you an idea of the structure of the book, the first part is Adoptees Unfiltered. 
And in this section, Sarah is bringing her experience along with a whole host of other adoptees to talk about attachment and trauma and the ways adoptees process things. The second part is Kelsey's part, and she is unfiltering the birth parent experience. She has a policy perspective with her experiences, what her lived experience. She's worked with agencies and for a nonprofit called Ethical Family Building. Then part three is mine, where I'm unfiltering the adoptive parent experience. And I'll read from that. And then the fourth part is where we talk about some policy changes that we might do at both the macro level in our culture and society in terms of policy and laws, and in the micro level in our homes, how we might practice adoption better in our homes to better serve adoptees and their parents. The section I'm going to read you now is called The Math of Openness. The closed adoption era demanded certain mathematical operations, while the open adoption era requires something different from us, meaning adoptive parents. In the either-or mindset, we worked with subtraction of birth parents, substitution of adoptive parents, and division of adoptee loyalties, all of these taking away from the adoptee. Consider instead a new math, that of addition and multiplication. When we include and honor our, our children's birth parents, whether present or not, we are adding to our children and not at all subtracting from ourselves. This new math comes easily with a both-and heart set. If contact is possible, the benefits to the adoptee are many. Connection with genetic family members and the genetic mirroring that goes with it. Access to dynamic medical information of birth family, as opposed to the static records given at the time of an adoptee's birth, when birth parents are younger and presumably healthier than later in their lives. The ability to ask questions about the earliest chapters of an adoptee's life from those who were there and hearing from the source why the adoptee was placed with more details shared over time as the adoptee is able to understand more and more. Even if contact isn't possible, openness always is, even if only in the ways we think and talk about our children's birth parents to honor their importance for our children. Beautiful. Consider instead, right? Both and. That keeps coming up. Yes, yes it does. Yeah. So well written. Thank you so Thank much. You. I. I love when authors read their words. It's just like an added gift. I appreciate that. And and in closing, I just will ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? No, I feel so complete. You're such a great interviewer. I really wanted to talk about the wider view of the wider meaning of open in terms of adoption and you gave me so many juicy opportunities to do that so thank you so much Jennifer it's been yeah, a pleasure it has been a pleasure yes it has for me a privilege and an honor for you to be on I know it's sometimes kind of difficult for an adoptive parent to say yes to an adoptee on a podcast and I definitely understand why you're just doing a great job we appreciate you so much. So many of us do. Your name comes up quite a bit. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been great. Thanks, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to talk to you uh, in this arrangement. And I can't wait to talk with us being on the other sides of the mic with each other. Yes, I look forward to being on your podcast. And I look forward to getting your wisdom out to my listeners. I so appreciated Lori's thoughtful question to me as an adoptee, what challenges I face being in reunion with biological family members. I felt seen by her in that moment, and having been given the opportunity to share a part of what my experience feels like. 
I was happy to hear Lori talk about the triad of adoption pyramid being flipped in collaborative efforts with Sarah and Kelsey by placing the adoptee at the forefront. Lori takes a little bit of a backseat since adoptive parents have been at the forefront for far too long. Centering the adoptee is their focus, and I enjoyably picked up on that when watching their video podcast, Adoption Unfiltered. The three of them beautifully come together and lead by example for our community that all members of the Constellation can share the same space in a harmonious way. I've heard many adoptees express their discontentment for a variety of reasons when adoptive parents want to express their lived experience, and I hold space for that opinion, while at the same time desiring to hear from all the parties that are affected in one way or another by relinquishment and adoption. Lori, thank you for having this conversation with me. I look forward to being a guest on your podcast next year to start your new season. It's clear to me that the work you're doing embraces the adoptee voice. I applaud your efforts to center the adoptee narrative and be willing to learn from us. It still stands with me that we can all do better when we know better. I seem to continue learning from each and every one of my guests, whether they are an adoptee, a first, or adoptive parent. As far as I can see, we are all in this together. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. Thank you for being here.